Good moment, everybody. Today I'd like to talk about a very interesting topic, something that's specific to the human, and that is language, words, and how it corresponds with our self-conscious mind, self-conscious awareness, which is ego. Again, the self-conscious mind, which is watching the self-conscious mind within the human beings, is what I refer to as ego, um, because it has that property of only having you as its focus. And that's something that makes us innately selfish, subconsciously selfish, doesn't make us bad people, doesn't make us dishonest, doesn't make us intentionally disconnected. It's just what we are. And that's why I have this podcast is to talk about what we are so that you can reflect on how it is that you are who and what you are and can get past the thinking, past the words, past the labels, past identifying, past allowing the mind to do things for you automatically that are not necessarily true or helpful, even though our mind is an amazing thing. You'll never hear me outrightly demonize the mind or the ego, although the ego has far less practical function in the world than is necessary, and so I will talk about it and and how identifying yourself through it will lead you to a greater awareness, a greater sense of being, a greater, greater satisfaction, because connecting with others and with life, feeling good because others feel good and being connected to that is something you don't have to think about. It's natural. It's hardwired, and it's hardwired across life, across species. But back to the topic of the day, and this is going to be taking us back to the origin of self-conscious thinking itself. A brief overview of that would be any time a species has within its mind information it is stored, and it understands how that information is beneficial to the species, then it's using its self-conscious mind. And all species pretty much do this on some level because it would be almost impossible to be alive without an awareness of the environment around because death would then be imminent at almost any time that there is a threat because we have to know what's going on around us in order to either move away from danger and move towards things that we need things that feed us, whether it's emotional nutrition, mental nutrition, or physical nutrition, and those are all valid. So take a songbird, for example. You know, they have adapted and learned to make sound, to communicate with one another, and that's for various reasons. Sometimes it's just to sing a song, and science has proven that. Sometimes it is to find a mate. Sometimes it's to warn the others. Sometimes it's to communicate with the young so they know who their parent is. On some level, almost every life form makes a sound and communicates with the world around it, most specifically its species. Beyond communicating with its species, most animals, most life forms make a loud sound, a noise, a roar, a something like that to just signal danger and to try and ward something off. 
And as a species, we all understand that about other species. I don't have to understand exactly what intonation a bear growl means to other bears in order for me to hear it and go, uh-oh, I don't think I should be here. And without thinking about the reason why, am I in its uh, food area? Am I close to its uh, offspring? Without thinking about it, I will start backing up first and maybe think about it while I'm running away. <laughs> so we are hardwired to be able to understand sound communication pretty much across species. Now, as you've heard me talk about in previous podcasts, the human self-conscious mind took this to another level at some point in our past. It learned to not only store information about the world around, like seeing a tree and knowing it's a tree, even before we could put the word tree on it, and then categorize it by its usefulness you know we can climb it to get away from danger we can harvest from it to eat we can hide behind it we can take branches and build shelter there's you know various ways in which we always knew how to use a tree and those were more direct self-consciousness there wasn't another layer yet but at some point in our past for some kind of challenge that we faced that wasn't enough we couldn't survive just living off of the stored information that was there. And again, I don't know the mechanism, how this works exactly, but just as our outer evolution has, has worked for eons, you know, species adapt to their environment, you put them in a different environment that's stable. Over time, that species will change somehow. A lot of this goes back and can be documented with the work of uh, Charles Darwin on uh, the Canary Islands, I believe it is or the Galapagos, and just seeing finches on various islands having slight adaptations because their environments were slightly different. There's actually nothing innately miraculous about that except that that's what life does. That's what life in form does. That's what our genetics allows us to do, is to change within the environment to continue surviving. Adaptations lead to genetic mutations, which are positive. They rarely, rarely are random. Now, within the human at some point, again, our mind, because we couldn't physically move fast enough, far enough, in order to change our environment, in order to, sorry, remove ourselves from our environment for safety, for survival, we had to make a decision about something we could do to alter the environment around us in order to survive. So in other words, maybe that is the first time that we gather a bunch of rocks and build a rudimentary hut to save ourselves from epic snowfall or we learn to chop a tree down and hop on it to get in the water and float away from shore because it's something of imminent danger is right there again i don't know the example i wasn't there millions of years ago <laughs> but i uh, contemplate these things because there's a chain of events that's natural that would have happened just like physical evolution with humans there became an inner mental evolution our mind began to store information and compare it with itself quickly in order to surmise the outside environment and make a decision about how to use the outside environment in a way that was beneficial for survival because that's the primary motive of life to survive and with all the research i've done that's one thing i i know you know life on that level doesn't make mistakes it just reacts and gives an option it helps. It doesn't care if it comes from 
base consciousness or ego consciousness, life will provide a way to think through a situation, you know, to figure something out. Now, how this parlays into words and language is exactly the same thing. Because if we think about making sound and understanding what they mean, with humans having an elevated way of storing information and then comparing the information with itself inside of our head. In other words, you know, you, you fall a tree, you cut the branches off, and you strap them together and you've got a raft. You strap them together and you've got four walls to a hut and you've got shelter, one of the primary things we need to survive in certain environments. And then you do that over time. Once your mind understands that, then what happens? It thinks of how to improve upon it because that's what the mind will do. And we can just think about everything that happens today. There isn't an iPhone 14 for no reason. They keep being improved. Although that's another <laughs> argument for debate whether or not that level of technology is absolutely helpful. There is no doubting that they didn't make the iPhone 14 first because they couldn't. That's not how the human mind works and thinks about things. And so back up to our human mind, hearing noises, communicating with each other and understanding what a grunt means, what this sound means, what that sound means, repeating it, storing that away, and over time, adding to it. And you can see where I'm going with this. By the time we add a few sounds together, we have a word. And then that word is related to an object. We have identified an object. That's the genesis of identity in the human mind whenever that happened whether it was looking at a rock and going rock which is a simple sound to make and saying it often enough that the other people that heard understood that and then after a while everyone agrees the sound rock means that object rock and there's part of the equation right there is that there's consensus we agree that that word means that thing. And it's simple. No one has any ulterior motive. They're just trying to identify things in order to use them, in order to correspond with them. And over time, what happens? Language expands. More words are added. More of the outside world gets labeled, gets identified. And then we begin living on two levels. We begin living directly with the world around us. We still have the same primal needs we need and want to survive, and it's our human birthright. It's the birthright of any living organism. I forgot where I was going with that. Back to our primal, our primal needs. We have the right to seek to be valued, to love and be loved, to procreate. All these things are natural instincts. But over time, the second level is that we start identifying things outside of ourselves. In other words, mine and yours. We start naming each other, and then maybe we start getting possessive about objects. So not just rock, but my rock. Because maybe I know that rock has a certain shape and it helps me create a fire by banging it into another rock. It helps me hunt. It weighs down something that I don't want to blow away, you know? Doesn't, doesn't matter what. The key is that 
at some point in our history, we started living on two levels because our mind started solving problems that we didn't have to solve on the primary level. In other words, instead of running away from the cold weather uh, in the winter and migrating, we just build more shelter. We build a better shelter. We store our food. We dig a hole and learn we can freeze it. We created agriculture in much the same way by viewing the world around us and understanding how it works, but also understanding how we could take from it or manipulate it to suit our circumstances instead of constantly being at the mercy of our circumstances. And this is insanely fascinating to me. Because it happened over so much time, there would have been no questioning it. What would have been wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with that? Of course not. There weren't even enough people on the earth probably or that sophisticated an organization for it to be a problem. But over time, once again, what happens? It evolves. The more we're in our mind, the more we think. The more we construct a world around us, which gives the mind more to deal with. And then there's more people dealing with it, and then we end up talking about it. We end up creating societies. We end up not living in direct contact with the earth, but through the identities of things that we've made in order to survive. They're still necessary to survival, but the difference is we created them, we've identified them, and we've learned to take ownership over them. And what comes with that? Control. And there's one of the first levels of ego. Again, the idea of mine and yours. You know, it's sometimes hard to describe to people how to differentiate between the two because the primary aspect of that is valid. I'm allowed to save my life over yours if we're in a fight. There's no identity involved. I'm not saying because I'm more important, because I'm smarter, because I'm more handsome. You know, there's just a primal aspect. Every life form is allowed to do that. That's valid. But over time, and with the way society's evolved, the idea of self-importance, ego, would have grown alongside of it who has accumulated the most tools, who has the biggest hut, who has the biggest house. Do you see? And that's where, from that simple iteration of knowing how to speak to one another, to identify things in the outside world as objects, and thus taking some of the feeling aspect out of it, we've evolved to where we are now and let's have a look at where we are now because it's still the exact same thing being played out only now it's much more complicated because as i know you can all attest there's a lot of information in the world in fact there's all too much information in the world and most people have way too much information both in their head although that's not the actual problem the paying attention to it as if it's all vitally important is what gets in the way. Now we're at the point where we say words and we feel offended. We feel we say words and they separate us. They separate us into what? Everything. Races, classes, societal structures. And they separate us sometimes from our primal 
natural rights. Access to food, to water, to shelter, to expressing ourselves. And again, this is, it's gone on for so long and it's become so subconscious. This identification of self and the world around us is a subconscious ego that has been a very constant and consistent program. And I'm not using the ego here to mean that every, everyone is intentionally selfish all the time. Our mind itself has become intentionally selfish all the time. And how do you know? Well, it's on for most people all the time. If you can't shut your mind off, which I know most people can't, I understand that ever so very well, which is why I'm here talking to you about what we are and how we freaking work so that we can get to the bottom of things and get along on both levels without the mind-based level being primary because the collateral damage of that has been huge, huge. And I'll be talking in every podcast about examples from today, from the past, that exemplify that. And I'll be talking about it from a perspective without ego because I have no vested interest in being clever or smart or intelligent about what's happening in the world today or what's happened in the past. But because I have the capacity to look at it without any inclination of Steve being involved, I can see it pretty clearly for what it is. And I think you're getting the gist of that from the way I speak and the way I can backtrack this to the origin of ego, of self-conscious awareness, and of ego awareness within the human species. It has gotten to the point in the human species where now we say a lot of words that we don't really mean because we don't actually know the deep meaning. We speak words without intention and yet they get heard a different way than the way they were intended. Words have different meanings. Words have different meanings depending on the context, depending on the situation, depending on who says it and how it's said sometimes. And that's how complicated communication has become. And I'll be dissecting that very deeply in this age of gender pronouns, cancel culture, and hypersensitivity to words when it's really being demonstrated just on a mind-based level and also giving examples of exactly how people use words divisively. Because again, that is the power of the self-conscious mind within the human is to identify things and our mind compares. That's what it does. It compares ideas, it compares thoughts so that it can give you a choice. When it involves your ego, then it adds the weight of an ulterior motive of what's in it for me. And so I'll be talking about that to try and get past the unnecessary sensitivity that's happening, which isn't helpful and isn't necessary, and where the truth lies beyond all the discussions that I actually hear going on on every side. Because there's an answer that does lie beneath it all, which has to do in how disconnected are we from ourselves and feeling. Because feelings have no language. Feelings are the most real thing there is. In fact, if you were to ask me and if I was to give you a meaning 
for life? It is to feel. After all, you've heard me say before, we are feeling beings. We are sensory beings. Because that's the point of being alive, is to feel. And yet we've evolved to a point where we're so mind-identified that we get our feelings from mind. Without realizing it's become so subconscious that in order to change how we feel, control how we feel, access how we feel, we can't just jump to the feeling, we have to backtrack to the source. And was the source the mind? And if so, what part of the mind? Was it the ego? Did someone just make us feel bad by saying a word we don't like? Even though they, or did we take it a certain way, even when they did not intend it that way? And what's needed is to get past the words, sometimes even past the communication, to realize what matters and what doesn't matter. And so with that, I'll give you an example from current culture and current thinking of how we live on two levels. Because we are going through a situation for the past two years, which has been described as a pandemic caused by a new virus. And it's been two years. I haven't said anything about it yet because I like to um, see what's happening see how people are reacting, on what levels they're reacting, and where the truth may or may not lie, even though I don't know it 100% either. But what I do know is that humans overreact from the mind. Because what did I say the mind did at, the, at its origins in order to help us? It reacted. You could almost say it overreacted. It started connecting dots to think. And so it saved us, and that seemed like a good thing. So our ego goes, well, I'll take credit for that. Let's keep doing that. That's 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 right on. And yet that's evolved to us overreacting to the point where if you look at the world around you and look at it honestly, what do we produce that we really don't need? I hope you realize it's a lot of things. What don't we take care of that we should be taking care of? Hmm. People having access to food, water, and shelter without money being a barrier, money being an ego-based construct, which will be a podcast of its own very soon so that that can finally be understood from a holistic context through time. But back to the story. For the last two years, we've been living in what's been called a pandemic. And it was called that instantly. The mind was excited to label it and i'll tell you why because the mind once it's engaged with something it's like sinking its teeth into something that's delicious it wants more and that's what i want you to click into understanding at some point is that our mind your mind will dwell on something just for the sake of it without it being a benefit to you necessarily the mind can be helpful sometimes the ego Perhaps sometimes, but I'm still extremely skeptical that the ego serves any actual practical good feeling for the species because it's narcissistic and it's individual. It's an extremely individual thing or a small group being a collective ego. But I really watched what was happening with the situation around the world 
very honestly. And I watched the numbers, I looked at statistics, I looked up the definition of pandemic, and to this day, what's happening in the world doesn't actually fit the description of the word pandemic. It just doesn't. Because in the first month, we were led to believe, and I was almost half expecting, so many people to be sick. People to be coughing and sneezing everywhere because they became sick while they were out in public and they couldn't get home in time. And nothing could be further from the truth. This is um, not a pandemic. And I don't mean that to be alarmist. I certainly don't say it to be conspiracy theorist because that does not apply to my thinking one bit. Because I have no ulterior motive. There's no agenda. But what we do have is a situation of an acute infection that has a more severe reaction in a very small subset of the population. And that subset can be easily identified. People with um, pre-existing health conditions, especially those around inflammation, because viruses which uh, attack the lungs specifically um, are problematic when you're trying to you know, oxygenate the cells of your body. Inflammation is crucial. So if you have anything already bothering you on that level, you're going to be predisposed to a worse reaction. The elderly predisposed to a worse reaction. Even people who are young they, that think they're healthy. There's a huge difference between fitness and health. They might have acute reactions. I've read about a few people in their 30s that people were very surprised died, and yet when I found out their actual history, you know, heavy meat consumption or taking anabolic steroids, taking anything that causes short-term inflammation in the body but doing it on a consistent basis will predispose you to having a very poor reaction to something that overtly comes into your system and, and gives it an inflammatory response because your immune system will already be tied up doing something. The key to having a good reaction to a very harmful infection of any kind is to already have a robust um, immune system. But we are so confused about health, diet, at this point in time with the humanity that a lot of us take for granted the words of authority, the words of government, as gospel. And again, this is a something for another episode, how we are automatically... Um, respectful and trustful of authority. But again, this ties exactly right back in with we are subconsciously respectful of the thoughts in our own mind. We often believe them. And this gets me kind of to the point of this episode. The fact that our thinking and our words, so our verbal expression of thinking, has evolved to such a point that now when we say words, we're so quick to listen and inventory those words into our own mind and assert and, and assess them. In other words, to give them a distinction of, you know, truth, lie, whether we trust it, whether we respect it. It's so quick and instantaneous that we don't breathe and look at the context, wonder what the intent was. And those two levels are someone saying there's a pandemic. You hear the word pandemic and boom, if you simply assimilate that word into your thinking and believe it then you won't question it 
And here's the two levels. When someone says words, just the act of saying words, it makes them true. And at first, you're going to hear me say that and probably wonder, wow, really? How can he know that? Because now you're going to get the insight. Just saying the words is true. Every word I've said to you so far in this podcast has been true. Except by true, I just mean they've been said. Now, the, sub, the subcontext to all this is, are they really true in their meaning? Is the intent with which I am telling you honest, compassionate, heartful, helpful? Is that true? Because that's the disconnect. And this will be the constant theme of the podcast, is helping people to realize within themselves what those two layers are and how they're relating to themselves. Just the fact that a word has been said doesn't mean the intention or the meaning of that word is true. You want a prime example? In talking to friends, counseling friends, over the past seven years, eight years, and even earlier in my life actually, I was always a person that people would talk to about things because I think I got to the heart of the matter even before, you know, getting to this deeper level. Because I'm a compassionate, helpful person without an ulterior motive of being like rewarded for giving that help. That's not part of the equation for me, never has been, and it's not even a factor that could be from here on in. But a lot of them, a lot of people are challenged just in the way they're brought up. Someone tells them they're stupid. Someone tells them, you know, they're fat. Their own parents have demonized a lot of children over the course of their life, and it's not always blatantly mean or intentional. Sometimes they're just stating a fact. But they're, they're saying it in such a way that it has a demeaning aspect, and it gets taken on that way by the child because we believe everything we're told when we're young because uh, we don't know any different. How would we? When we're young, we're literally just inventorying words, but we're also inventorying how they're used. So that child that gets told, you know, you're, you're not smart, you're never going to grow up to be this, you're never going to grow up to be that. You know, I have a very close friend right now who was brought up to think that way. And also, she became overweight at a very young age. And by the time she was eight, nine years old, her parents would literally say to her, you know, why are you so fat? Why aren't you doing something about this? And it's like, really? Really? And yet that impacted her self-image for the longest time. She also didn't excel in school because she was overweight. She had a poor self-image. Her thinking was very muddied and not clear. And yet she's one of the most intelligent people I know on this planet by far because she's very caring. She's very sensitive. She wouldn't hurt anyone. And I don't know what higher intelligence there actually is when it gets right down to it. I'd want that person on my team every time. But at a young age, we don't know that words can exist on two levels. And as I'm speaking to all of you, I'm going to say that I probably realize that into adulthood, most of us don't realize that we have the option of realizing someone said something and that we can then analyze the content of the words as to whether or not that is true. Someone saying something, the words themselves having been said is true. 
you know, they have physically existed in the world. And that's a fact. But we confuse that with the content of the words that have been said. Because my friend, while she was fat as a descriptor, she didn't get that way by accident. Young children don't go grocery shopping and bring food into their house. So this is just an example of a cycle of parenting, that ha- of, of communication that happens within humanity that's been going on for a long time, and this is how cycles get passed on. You know, her parents weren't intentionally mean or evil. They just weren't. They were unconscious. They were unconscious that their words carried more weight than the actual content of the words themselves. And yet, when we're young, we're more attached to the feeling aspect. Because the words are just words. Until we learn that they can have meaning and we can make ourselves feel a certain way when we don't think about it realistically and when we're young we don't have that framework and so what happens is we start to bury the meaning in our subconscious mind attached to the feeling that went with them at the time we learned them and this is what i'm going through with my friend right now she's unlearning those connections because they were never valid she was never unintelligent and she was never responsible responsible for her weight It wasn't even an option. Her parents are, to use the word blame, in a proper context, they were to blame because they were responsible. And that's the reality of it. That's the honesty of it. No one's trying to make anyone feel bad by analyzing it that way. And that's what I'd like you to take away from what I'm talking about today, is the ability to listen to what people say and dismiss it if the content of the words aren't true for you. I could go on and on, and I will at the end of some other episodes about talking about words, because this is part of the confusion of all of the dialogue happening in the world today, is that words are used very maliciously by people in charge, like people in charge of pandemics and health, that aren't helping by saying words, because we tend to believe them at face value, and then we bury them, and then we even defend them without understanding what the content of the words meant all along. And so I invite you to learn to create space between words being said and you feeling what the words actually mean. Not only for yourself, but in general. And to universalize the meaning of things. And then That will allow you to say words that you mean and be more careful with your words. It's actually that important. And I'm going to be pointing out tons of examples of how our mind lies on a very constant and consistent basis. And it doesn't seem important, but it is important because it's programmed us to allow that on a constant basis. And it's added up to everything we see now. Again, I could go on for far too long, but I hope that's given you enough of a nugget to contemplate. Don't think too hard about it, but do contemplate identities, labels, words that you carry around inside your mind, especially if you have things you dwell on. 
if you dwell on any one thing or two things, try and slow it down. Even write the words out. Write the sentence out. Look at it and ask yourself, is this really true? Does this feel true? And if not, what is the problem with that word, those words, and what is the underlying truth? Because the truth is always a feeling. Feeling is always being who you are within the context of what you are. And on an instinctual level, feelings never lie because they can't. They don't have an ulterior motive. That's why all the old adages are true. Trust your instincts. Listen to your heart. Follow your heart. But you have to get past the redundant thinking, the incessant thinking of the self-conscious mind, and especially any attachment to ego you have about identities being helpful, being right, being useful. Because chances are they are not. And that's for you to contemplate, examine, and figure out for yourself. But of course, if you want more clarification, please drop me a line, ask me specific questions. I like nothing more than getting to the heart of the matter. No pun intended. The heart of your matter is what matters. It's what makes the matter able to matter. So there. Drop me a line. Steve at IlluminatingTheDisconnect.com and I will be sure to address specifics at the end of episodes uh, if I haven't addressed it already or to reiterate points that are just universally true for our species so that we can learn to communicate with each other more simply, more directly, more honestly and in ways where the outcome is a mutual, satisfied feeling. Take care.